I'm Jason Klom, and this is the Comedy on Vinyl podcast. The year is 1971. The album. I think we're all bozos on this bus. The artist, the Firesign Theater. My guest this week, Phil Proctor and Taylor Jessen. We're doing the history of Firesign Theater again. Yo. Yeah. Um, I'm just going to show this to the audience, and Fireside I don't know if they what? can even see it. There's this famous the famous group. They sold lots of yeah. records. A bunch of hippies. I've heard of them. Austin and Chong. Oh yeah, yeah. There's, a, there's a picture of them in my book. Well, look oh, at great. that. Where's my fortune cookie? Available at Amazon.com, wherever good books uh, can be ordered. That is totally a book that people can buy, isn't it, it, it Mr. Is. Proctor? It's a viable book, mm -hmm. and it's actually got some viable stories in it. So it's a delightful book. I uh, actually, after when you were telling us about the book originally, I went up to San Francisco for the first time, and I made a weird macabre trip to the Golden Dragon, just specifically, oh, which is excellent. still there. Yes. Uh, it's not called the Golden Dragon. No, it's called something else, but I had to do some hunting. Like, if, oh. I, if I may just throw in, I found, uh, in going, digitizing the entire goddamn Fireside Theater archive, mm -hmm. I found an amazing air check, and it's Procter & Bergman the day after, or possibly the day of, depending on the like, day what after. time it happened. An air check, yeah. you're on the radio, and you're telling a DJ exactly what happened. It's amazing. Oh, wow. How, how completely calm and sort of, sort of, uh, not bemused, but just, uh, just sort of. Oh well, that's that's what just happened. Yeah, sort well, of. We were, uh, so the whole story is going to. We were able to tell out. the story, but for for months afterwards, whenever there was a backfire, Bergman would get freaked, mm -hmm. spooked. I would imagine. You know, yeah, but it was it was such a wonderful. It always feels so good to survive a near death experience. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know that you feel. Now you, you're here for a reason. You just talk about it. Right. And, you know, carry on. What year was that? 77. 77. Oh, okay. <clears throat> this and album. Was, and it was the day that my wife uh, and, and I found out she was pregnant. Oh, my God. That's crazy. <laughs> that's insane. It's in the book. That's why it's called Where's the my book. Fortune Cookie. And that's <laughs> Bergman and me hot, cowering under the table. Everyone on the podcast, you... please look at this photo of Bergman. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What's that? Everyone oh. just listening. My, my pocket is uh, singing to me. <laughs> Isn't this nice? I wonder what it is. Yeah. There's see, Bozos. We're all Bozos on this bus. Right. Good. <laughs> <laughs> so 1971, this album comes out. What's what? Uh, what was the what's the impetus for actually making the thing? Because it is well, for those who haven't heard it, it's a single story. It is it is as narrative as you guys get. Mm -hmm. tell, tell, it well, was it was actually nominated for a Hugo Award. Yes, I saw that science fiction award because mm -hmm. it was a, a pretty complete and and uh, uh, graspable story. Mm -hmm. You know, <clears throat> well. Uh, I think I knew we wanted to write something about the computer revolution mm -hmm. and and where where was that going to take us, and we also wanted to uh, we've been wanting to do a theme park album for a long time because okay. it just seemed like so ripe for for a social satire <coughs> Disney Disney World type thing but government oriented, mm -hmm. and so we combined those two ideas because uh, at the time holograms were also beginning to okay. become. Uh, uh, more available to people. And so mm -hmm. all of these kind of technological, futuristic ideas uh, inspired us to tell the story of somebody trying to close down 
the theme park, the, mm -hmm. the government, basically. Politically, I think it was the Nixon era, was it? Mm -hmm. And we were still trying to get him out of office and end the Vietnam, Vietnamese War. So all of these elements uh, seem to, to fit well into this particular kind of a theme. And what really tipped the scale in that direction was I had gone to a, a work fair in Hollywood, mm -hmm. and there was a one of the booths was demonstrating like the future of interactivity with a program a computer program called the eliza program okay and it was a psychiatrist program you would type in a question and the psychiatrist would respond to you and you'd respond to him weird okay okay but what was particularly captivating for me <clears throat> was that there was a big a cardboard barrel, <laughs> all right, that that was filled with reams of this paper. Yeah, you know, the, the old printer, you know, the kind with the perforated edges. Yeah, and 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 the continuous uh, roll of uh, of paper. Mm -hmm. Well, this this barrel was just filled with these things. Oh my God! And I dove in, and and pulled them out. And what 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 won me over was that the computer program. Uh, code was also part of the transcript. Okay. That's where we got unhappy MacNam. Uh-huh. It said unhappy MacNam. <laughs> it said things like that. There was uh -huh. all these, you know, the, these nerds had created these these original uh, uh, computer programs in a, uh, in, a, in a very early phase yeah. of, of this kind of uh, computer language. Phil, was there any specific reference in there to Dr. Memory? Yes, it's direct readout memory. I oh think. my God! Because <laughs> Doctor Memory was a thing you'd been riffing on <laughs> since like 1970 yeah. in the radio shows. Oh, we had, huh? And then suddenly it was right there. That's I mean, it was a running. It was, it was it was a running gag where you'd say Doctor. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, memory. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. But so so we I guess we reinvented that. You know, it's amazing. Uh, Love it and put it in there. But but the other really weird thing about it. First of all, people have to know that. Uh, and I'll demonstrate this. Well, let's see. How can yeah, I let's see if this? it works. Let's, it's, see. Uh... let's see. Let's see. How can I get it? Uh, uh, I played the part of a uh, hacker, actually. Mm -hmm. We didn't have the language yet. Uh, there was no language for uh, a disgruntled ex-employee who comes in and tries to get into the computer right. in order to fiddle with it. Mm -hmm. But that's what I did. Yeah. And I planted a virus. That was also not a word at the time. Mm -hmm. I planted a virus, which was a, a question based on the binor binaural aspect of a computer thought, you know, negative, positive, yes, no, mm -hmm. <clears throat> that the computer couldn't answer. Mm -hmm. And that caused it to go into a loop and destroyed the computer, mm -hmm. froze the computer. Blew it up, too, and I think we actually blew it up. <clears throat> so anyway, uh, my character gained access to the computer by saying, this is Worker speaking, hello. And the computer would say, hello, Worker, how can I help you? Well, <clears throat> many years ago, unbeknownst to us, when we were at a uh, record a public appearance and record signing up in what was it Berkeley? It was, it was in Berkeley. Mm -hmm. Berkeley, yeah. seventy-five. Uh, a young man came and got his records and hung out with us. And uh, uh, Taylor here, our archivist, came across some pictures of this particular signing, this this appearance, and we identified this young man as Steve Jobs. That's insane. Okay, mm -hmm. now. 
I'd forgotten that. Oh, I'm sure. Probably, you know, Steve Jobs. I don't think he'd, he'd started his his uh, a, a dynasty yet. Right. You know, yeah. His empire. Just a few years <clears throat> away. Yeah, he was just a young right, man. He was right on the cusp. And, uh, uh, but many years later, when I did Voices for A Bug's Life, which David also played a major part in for, for Pixar, mm-hmm. uh, we had a, uh, a big uh, cast and crew party uh, up in... San Francisco or somewhere, wherever Pixar was. Yeah, Emory, uh-huh. <clears throat> yeah. and I met Steve Jobs because he had just bought into Pixar. Okay, yeah. Okay, and his, it was going to apply his computer knowledge to their their uh, wonderful uh, uh, studio. And I met him, and he said, I'm a big fan of yours. And I was very impressed and very happy to hear that. Well, now we're... 2027 wherever we are and (laughs) and if you have an iphone and you ask siri this you'll hear this is worker speaking hello this is hello aklem what function can i perform for you lol (laughs) i love it so much okay so he this is is this called an easter egg Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. He put Steve Jobs put it in an Easter egg as an homage to the Fireside Theater. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and uh, it just blows my mind. Of course, I mean it's absolutely fantastic. So, uh, uh, not only that, but Siri, as you can hear, imitates the voice of the computer. Yes, doesn't do the regular and then Siri. Says laugh out loud. Yeah, <laughs> so good. So it's it's really a great great homage. Mm-hmm. Goes to goes to the machine about the ghost in the machine. The ghost of the machine. And sometimes if you if I, it doesn't always work, but if you say, uh, why does a porridge bird lay his egg in the air? She will say, you can't shut me down that easily. <laughs> okay? And because that was the Zen question mm-hmm. that my character, Clem, uh, Clem uh, uh, asks of the computer that basically shuts it down. <clears throat> and that question, which we're often asked about, what does it mean? <clears throat> that question uh, came to me from a girlfriend of mine named Angel. Texas girl lived in uh, Austin out in the suburbs and she swore she told me a story one day that she used to talk to leprechauns in her backyard when okay. she was a little girl okay and one of the leprechauns said asked her that question why does the porridge bird lay his egg in the air and then laughed and ran away and that's all in the album holy shit and of course, wow. uh, me. Of course, I I did research in Irish mythology uh-huh. to try to figure out what it was. There such what what is this? And I the only the closest I came to it was the story of a king, who was deposed uh-huh. and lived in a cave on porridge, for years before he was able to get back on the throne. All right. Why does the poor rich king, you know, mm-hmm. eat porridge? Uh, Poor porridge on his bird. Uh, so anyway, it's it, all this of that... happened to her when she was a kid, not when she's adult and maybe had ingested some interesting no, stuff. No, no, it was no, all no. from her childhood. Oh, childhood. She huh. was a little girl. Interesting. She grew up into a big girl, very beautiful woman, angel. Anyway, uh, so that's some of the back story. Yeah. I'm curious. Okay, this is going to come from a tech nerd thing not knowing a whole lot which by the way oh, a friend of yours yeah yeah a friend of mine not me um just okay so if you're seeing all the program what year was that that you saw all the the programming and stuff 69 70 then about 70 may, might have even been 71 what did you understand of it when you saw it though what i understood of it was uh, that it it was a program that worked i mm-hmm. mean you know yeah. i mean uh it, it You'd say something to like you know, uh, hi doctor, uh, 
why, why are you why are you uh, why are you so serious about everything?" And the doctor would say, "Well, how do you feel about that?" Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, there's that kind of a thing. Yeah. And I I, thought, I was very inspired by it. I thought that was a wonderful a, a wonderful path to go to, and it really like opened my mind to the whole future of, of interactivity with machines. Mm -hmm. Because that's always look. I'm a science fiction nerd. Always have been. Sure. And uh, one of the major themes of science fiction from the very beginning has always been artificial intelligence versus human intelligence, mm -hmm. robots. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Uh, in in our cut up film, um, uh, J Men Forever that Peter and I put together using uh, Republic cliffhanger serials, mm -hmm. there were several um, uh, superhero um, films that featured. Huge robots, sure, right, sure, yeah. <laughs> running amok and killing people, of and course, things like that. Yeah. So it's 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 a it's another one of those themes. Artificial intelligence uh, was something that that, that we all um, got together on. You know, we all felt that that was going to be something that would be uh, uh, beleaguing us in the future. And mm -hmm. it's true. Yeah. You know. There, uh, do you recall, I apologize, I'm going to go all over the place, but like one of the things that intrigues me the most is the part that creeps me out the most, and that's the voice of the, well, specifically of the Nixon robot, basically. There's just so much effect under her, that flutter. Yeah, uh, yeah. What the hell was the, what did you use? Do you it know? It feels like a Leslie speaker. Right? Yeah, we did it through a Leslie speaker. You have to explain to me what that is. Well, it's, it's, it's a musical... You can probably explain it better, but well, everybody sh uh, should, of course, read the big Beatles Studios book because that's when I think John Lennon's mind was blown when he finally got a hold of the Leslie Speaker and they took it apart to make his voice sound uh, weird for the mid sixties. Yeah, sir, uh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. rubber solar or revolver era stuff. Uh, Basically, revolving speaker uh, inside really another cabinet. Oh, holy shit! That's how that works. Yeah, yeah the Leslie insane. was meant to be just a, an effect for. I think it started guitar? out as just supposed to no. be an effect for guitars. Yeah, but then they applied it then to they keyboard. Put, of course, they keyboard yeah, yeah, yeah. Now I know what you're talking. As you, as we're describing it, I'm right. getting. Yeah, it's it. a okay. it's a physical effect, and you yeah, put a no, second microphone. But, but next there's to the another. That's another very interesting thing about the evolution of uh, the recording industry, which we over the, our long career were able to not only witness but participate in mm -hmm. uh the the thunder that is on the album uh, i think primarily in the floyd dam uh section where they're the the, the bozos are in the bus mm -hmm. and they're apparently uh the windows are all holograms and they're mm -hmm. uh -huh. you know, they're experiencing a, a terrifying uh, travelogue uh, this, the sound of the thunder in that, and I think also when I think of it, it might have gone back even to uh, uh, Up Against the Wall of Science, right? We used mm -hmm. some thunder in there too. That thunder I created by going physically walking upstairs in the Columbia studio mm -hmm. where the uh, echo chamber is oh, located. Oh, sure, sure, sure. And beating with my fists on the various machine, on the machine <laughs> that, that had all these these repeating sections to it yeah. so that it, your voice would go whoa, 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 like that. Yeah, yeah, oh, right. Awesome. So it's electronic thunder yeah. artificially created by, oh my, by God. Own, my own fists. That's insane. Yeah. But, but that was the, the fun thing about what Firesign was able to do and the reason why, again, we wanted to do a technological album mm -hmm. because we, we were... Uh, kids in a toy shop we were playing with all this wonderful equipment yeah. all this this state-of-the-art stuff and because of uh, John McClure had uh, 
ensured that we were signed to Columbia under a spoken arts contract, mm. we didn't have to pay for studio time. Oh, right, yeah, yeah, okay. So we could really I indulge ourselves, oh, you so know. Good. And uh, and that was, again, one of the very liberating aspects of Fireside Theatre that allowed it to be so very unique mm -hmm. in the recording industry and to evolve and experiment with new new forms of technology. Yeah. Was there, uh, in the writing of this, was there any improv, as it seems, was the big part oh, of your always. other stuff? Yeah. There's always improv in what we do. But, <clears throat> of course, the, the uh, machine response, mm -hmm. machine responses, those were carefully... Uh, written yeah. and, and, and thought out. But uh, th there's always aspects of improvisation of what Farsine would do, <clears throat> depending, again, on the complexity of the album or the um, uh, the strength of the nar narrative of the album. Uh, many times, and I, I write about it in the book uh, when I discuss the, the writing techniques that we had, mm -hmm. we would agonize over certain ideas or agonize over certain scenes and you know fight and and uh, no it should go this way it should go that way and and then we'd finally compromise we'd type it up we'd take it in the studio and throw it away of and improvise mm -hmm. you know because mm -hmm. <laughs> the studio was kind of like for us um, uh, to it was an out of town tryout and it was opening night mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because again we had the luxury to be able to rehearse as long as we want it until we felt that we got it. Uh, uh, Taylor has among our archives, which are soon to be shipped to Washington, D.C., because the Library of Congress purchased the fire. Oh, we Taylor can say that Congress. finally. Okay, Yay. so we can mention it. I'm good. All right. For a tidy sum. Thank you. Uh, uh, and I think Trump signed the check himself. It's, so it's That's all a delight. Uh -huh. We're gonna <clears throat> they signed it in Russian, fast. so I don't know if it's going to be a problem or not. Well, at least you can read it. That's good. <laughs> uh, so anyway... Uh, uh, yes, there. There's probably some scripts in there mm -hmm. that have all of the changes that we tried to oh, make. That's great. During those sessions, oh, it so looks good. like hieroglyphics. I'm sure. I don't yeah. know how we ever read it. You know. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think we've got like track sheets. Yeah. But eventually, because again, we had the luxury to rehearse, mm -hmm. uh, the scenes and the characters would become like second nature to us, mm -hmm. and we could almost like throw this really, literally throw the script away. Yeah. And play off of one another. Uh, we're in, you know, you got earphones on, and you're in an isolation booth, mm -hmm. and there's somebody else is way over there in the studio, uh -huh. you know. So it's all in our head, mm -hmm. and which is which was great because that's how we wanted the audience to experience sure. it as well. Sure, movies of the mind. Yeah. So the technique of of recording in that way and interacting uh, live with all of the the partners, mm -hmm. it 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 was tried and true, and we did it over our whole 50-year career. And that came out really, <clears throat> that that technique came out of radio. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Where we'd sit around a table with earphones on. Sure. And, you know, hear one another and improvise, and, and sound effects and music would come in. Uh, Earl Jive was a real uh, uh, jokester and uh, our engineer for the Dear Friends uh, uh, Dear Friends radio show. And he used to just drop sound effects on us unexpectedly. Oh my God. And then we would have to improvise and Holy react to those shit. as well. So a lot of, you know, very musical, very jazzy, yeah. you know, uh, riffing off of one another and all that. And that worked for us for our entire career. Mm -hmm. We could always do that together. Mm -hmm. And and it ha from the very first time that we, we all sat around a table uh, on Radio Free Oz back in 1967, was it? 
it's uh, November. It's November '66. '66. November '66. It's what you, that's what you keep saying, right? And there's no, there's no, there's there's no goddamn recording of that original thing. If only there was this thing. But from the very beginning, you guys knew the date, even if you didn't have a recording of the thing. That's I just, I just like gone? to. That's not yeah. out there. Yeah, we don't have. Well, nobody. I don't think anybody was recording Radio oh. Free Oz at the time, except mm. maybe this one weirdo, Carlos Hagen, who had this wonderful Hagen. had this wonderful arc. And uh-huh. he was he a, he wanted to keep all the recordings. Of, totally, totally. He wanted to keep as many recordings of LA radio as he could. So uh-huh. he just even before he knew knew about Firesign, he was recording radio for you. Did Carlos become some, a woman? Was he no, that was somebody else. Uh not that I know of. Castionata. He became a now we're talking about somebody else. No, uh <laughs> I'm just neutral on this subject. I'm just I'm just this is my my barbaric yop to the universe, god damn it. If why why don't we have a recording of that particular day? Well, you you sound so frustrated at all of this. When you know what we when you know what what's in the archive, suddenly you become very very aware of what you don't have. Well that's why I'm here. Yeah, yeah, of course. Of course. At least the information's consistent and it's not like you get a different date every time. So exactly that's, yes, that's, that's right once the technique i know how for... i am with my own memory and uh i i can never remember when i once, started my own shit. once yeah, the well, time travel is available we will know exactly where and when to david go, has written a book called fighting clowns i think mm-hmm. it's called uh, uh that's available uh, at bear manor mm-hmm. where also uh, i wrote a book i finished two projects that peter and i were working on before he passed away mm-hmm. and one is called americathon the skits behind the oh, screenplay all right mm-hmm. I should have brought you copies of that. I'm sorry. Don't worry about uh, it. But you Next can time. go to Bear Manor Press and get it. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 got nice pictures in it. And it tells the story of our experience with Neil Israel mm-hmm. uh, uh, from the... And it, and it contains two transcripts of two shows that we did. Gotham, okay. Gothamathon, which mm-hmm. was the original iteration, where Peter and I would come into a town and... <clears throat> and uh, explain to the audience that the town was going to go bankrupt unless we could raise money, and that's yeah. why we're having this telethon. And Peter was, you know, Jerry Jerry. He was the host. <laughs> Been up for, you know, seven days. <laughs> and and then he would invite all of these lower echelon grade B acts on, which was me, mm-hmm. and then I would introduce another act, and that was Peter. Right. You know, so so we, we we played all these crazy characters in it. Neil Israel caught the show at Paul's Mall in Boston and said to us, I had, I had uh, uh, starred with him in the film Tunnel Vision, mm-hmm. which was his first movie with Chevy Chase and various other wonderful <laughs> Howard Hesseman. Oh, God. Everybody was in that movie. Uh, but <clears throat> he wanted to make a movie out of it. And so we evolved it into Americathon mm-hmm. to save America's overwhelming get them out of their overwhelming debt sure little did we and we, we'd say something like well how much money should it be i mean you know a trillion a trillion sounds a little high <laughs> maybe you know nine million uh, now of course it's ludicrous it's several trillion dollars or god knows how much it is but uh but we evolved it into america that's uh-huh. the second part of the book and uh, and then we started to write it and we got pretty far into it but then neil and peter uh uh as they put it, two Jewish brothers mm-hmm. got into a fight. Yeah. And Neil wanted me to continue on. And I feel it's one of the mistakes that I made in my career, not saying to Peter, I better stay on because then our interests, you know, we can, I can consult mm-hmm. with you mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, and we'll, we'll, we'll keep the fire sign spirit alive in sure. it. Sure. But I didn't out of loyalty to Peter. Yeah. 
And as a result, the film kind of went in another direction. Right. And uh, and turned out to be not as great as it should be. Although it's, mm-hmm. it's still an interesting cult film. Mm-hmm. And, and very predictive in many ways. Yeah. You know, and my friend John Ritter was in it, and Harvey Corman, and mm-hmm. and uh, all uh, all kinds of, of wonderful uh, actors. So, anyway, that's one story. That's that's available. And then the other book is called Power. Mm-hmm. Peter and I did an absolutely amazing uh, Hollywood soap opera mm-hmm. uh, on a show called Heat with John Hockenberry, produced by Ted Bonnet, who's still a good friend of mine, and. Uh, and it was basically, in the late 90s, it was basically the story of a hot Hollywood agent, powerful Hollywood agent, and his lawyer. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and the crazy things that happened in their lives, including a kidnapping of of, uh, the, of the agent's wife by the Bow Wowers, which is a, a, an animal activist. Okay. <laughs> Again, very predictive and very funny. Beautifully produced. I hope it... it it will be made available. Totally, it's a great serial. We've got it we've is. got all the audio for it as yeah, well. Yeah, it was it's really wonderful. well recorded and produced. Anyway, I transcribed. Peter and I were transcribing all of these oh, wow. for, for this book, mm-hmm. all of the scripts, which are very funny to read. Mm-hmm. And then he passed away. Yeah. So you know, after a couple of years of mourning, I did that. So that book is available as well. Yeah. Power by Proctor Bergman. And if I may, if the Fighting Clowns book from uh, from David, Fighting Clowns of Hollywood, is extraordinary. I uh, I've, I helped him edit it. And there's this whole mystery period for Firesign where, uh, I mean, the big part of their legacy is their, is their Columbia albums. And, and then suddenly in 75, they don't have a Columbia contract anymore. That's right. Yeah. And, the, and as, as David observed in his journal, which is published as part of the book, it almost was like Firesign didn't exist unless they were together working on something. Right. Yeah. Right. And then there's this whole really interesting two-year period where they are doing a multitude of live plays. And they're amazing and hilarious and ridiculous and hugely dark and very Brechtian. And then they didn't get a record contract and they kept going and they didn't get a record contract and some of the things get picked up by Rhino. And then it's 1981 and David goes and gets a job and that's the end of that iteration of the first Yeah, that's theater. right. Yeah, and that's nobody right. quite knows what happened except yeah. for what happened on, on what you can hear on those those Rhino LPs. Well, we've got recordings of some of these old uh, live shows and these are in David's book are published the scripts for these shows for the first time. So it's all really, really fun I'll stuff. Just, are those the shows that we're doing at the Ashgrove? Uh, at the Roxy. At the Roxy. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Multiple shows at the Roxy, yeah, all with completely true. different scripts. And the amount that's of work true. the amount they were of work they were doing is a, is astounding. Yeah, men in hats and all that. We really were remarkably uh productive. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it it's it's kind of hard for me to wrap my head around. Yeah. Because we we, we were totally immersed in it. Mm-hmm. And and as uh, Taylor suggested, we were doing it even without a, uh, the uh, the awareness that we could exploit it as a record or something, you know? Mm-hmm. And, of course, we didn't really use the visual element as much as we could have. Sure, sure. But there's a DVD uh, collection coming out that <clears throat> Taylor is putting the finishing touches on with another fellow named, what, Amy Shore? Is that his oh, name? Oh, Arnie Shore. Arnie Shore. <clears throat> that will have some of those rare things. Oh, that's great. Things. And, and the Fighting Clown show, right? 
that that's part of it. Well, what's what's on the DVD is uh, Just Folks Live at the Roxy, which is oh, a, Just uh, Folks. That's another show. Okay, a okay. one-off show they did in February of '77, and uh, which is great. Single camera, tube camera, and one shot, and it's pretty pretty damn funny. Um, and that's on the DVD with their appearance on the Susskind Show in 1974. Oh, yeah, oh, that yeah. was probably the the most exposure that we got mm-hmm. uh, on uh, on national television, and uh, he was kind of clueless as to who he were, but he was a very good sport about it. Mm-hmm. Bergman was dressed in a clown suit, and I had, you know, a psychedelic shirt on, and uh, every we were all, and we ch- I think we changed our costumes between mm-hmm. between segments. Austin mm-hmm. starts the show in an exploding top hat. Oh, my <laughs> That's God. That's right. It's that oh, kind that of show. Oh, that exploding top hat, which I made, uh, was, you know, when, when we, and the stage show of Bozo's, mm-hmm. when we break the president, he would he'd come out with this this WC Fields hat mm-hmm. and I'd rig the top so that when when he's destroyed uh, springs would boom come out of his head and confetti would fly and everything so well good. that hat I discovered one day going mm-hmm. through uh, a variety reading a variety in a office somewhere uh, there was a full page ad for an auction company uh-huh and there was a picture of that hat which had sold for $3,200, $1,000, something like that. Mm -hmm. And it said, authentic W.C. Fields hat. It wasn't. (laughs) It was for Jimmy Durante. Oh, my God. In the great great broadcast of 1938, Mm -hmm. something like that. And I got it from West... I got it at the MGM auction. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay? Along with uh, a a, uh, plaster of Paris barrage balloon from uh from uh the time uh what's it called hg wells oh um time uh, thing what was it the time time machine time machine oh really (laughs) yes yes really yeah which we used in the movie Everything you know is wrong. Oh, right. okay. We're not Colonel Goldhart. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. When everything falls, that's, that that's big bomb that comes down was. Oh my god, that's amazing. <laughs> Shot in the, my garage, my uh, with the house I shared with my second wife, Sheila Wells. It's it's uh, it's in the book. In the, 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 now, book? By the, the way, book. The book. The book. If you don't read, because uh-huh. people not, don't read anymore. Sure, sure, sure. I, I, the, the pictures. Mm-hmm. Just look at the pictures. Sure. But uh, even better than that, I was in Brooklyn a month ago. Mm-hmm. Which I call Brickland because everything's made out of bricks. Sure, obviously. sure. And uh, and working with Sue Zizza and her husband, engineer David Shin, we recorded um, the book. Mm-hmm. Great for eventual release for Grammy consideration mm-hmm. as a book on tape, but more importantly as a podcast. Oh, all right. Which will be starting uh, in early June mm-hmm. and run for like 23 episodes. That's great. I think we're we're charging a 99 cents or something like that for a download. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and <clears throat> and I just finished writing the wraparounds, which were recorded uh, a few days ago in their new studio in New York for a young fellow named Tom Kelly, mm-hmm. who already has a podcast show. He's a comedian, uh, young. I mean, he's in his 30s and... Um, uh, young to me and anyway he has a following so it was their idea to have him read the ins and the outs oh okay okay so that his following younger following can be turned on to Mm -hmm. Fireside Theater that's great so and and the other thing that's nice about it is just as the book is profusely illustrated Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. it was our idea to add sound effects 
some drop-ins from oh, albums okay. that you know when they're referred to in here. Sure. Uh, and uh, and musical bridges and things like that. That's wonderful. And I haven't heard any of this yet, but yeah. that's what they're doing back in. The, I'm excited in the, to hear the, that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I actually discovered when we we started shopping around for an audiobook company, mm -hmm. uh, I discovered that most audiobooks all they let you do is read the book yes yeah you know now in the early days of audiobooks there would be sometimes music sometimes sound effects that's what i would prefer right yeah. right and and the reason why i became involved with l ron hubbard's works mm -hmm. was that they uh he was you know a magnificently prolific writer of, of many genres mm -hmm. science fiction and horror and fantasy sure. and detectives and arson stories and pirate stories and all kinds of interesting spiritual stories <clears throat> and so they decided to uh record a bunch of them mm -hmm. like 80 i think we recorded 85 of them or something like that and they were recorded with uh, the addition of foley sound effects mm -hmm. walla mm -hmm. and original music oh wow so and every word of the book, because all the narration is in there too, mm -hmm. <clears throat> is uh, is translated into a CD. Mm -hmm. Okay, and I I thought this was just wonderful. This is like fire, what Fireside Theater would do. Sure, you know, and that's why I did scores of voices for them and became involved. And now they actually uh, perform various stories mm -hmm. at a state of the art theater <clears throat> that they constructed <clears throat> in their publishing building uh -huh. on Hollywood Boulevard. And uh, it's a cabaret-type setting. You've seen some of them, haven't you? Um, no. No? Oh, yeah, yeah. I have to come down. haven't been in that building in my okay, life. Okay, well, I, I eventually... Uh, over the years, I've performed on these shows mm -hmm. with my wife as well. I've directed some of them. I've narrated some of them. Uh, and everybody's standing on this nice stage with back a background that can be changed... Like if it's a science fiction show, there'll be a rocket mm -hmm. there, you know, or an alien landscape or something. If it's a pirate show, mm -hmm. there'll be, you know, ships. It's very clever. And they uh, and they drop in the sound effects and the music from the episode oh, cool. as it was recorded. Yeah, so yeah. it's a wonderful state-of-the-art audio production done, performed live Perform before live. an audience. That's wonderful. And the next thing that they did uh, was that they eliminated the music stands and the scripts and they use a teleprompter, two teleprompters. Oh, okay. So we, as actors, can can speak to the audience mm -hmm. directly. You know, we still maintain the idea of of we're doing radio and, sure. and we're, we're talking straight out. We're not looking at one another unless it's a break or something or it's uh -huh. important to the story. But for the most part, we're, we're reading it, mm -hmm. performing it. Yeah. And it's so liberating. That's wonderful. You see? So again, evolution, the evolution of technology and how it adds to the uh, emotional effect on an audience mm -hmm. and, and the uh, um, integration of the audience into the, the, the uh, story itself. How much? So, how much was this de uh, bozos developed on stage? Speaking of stage stuff, uh, not at all. No. This okay. Not, not at all. So, so far as I can recall. No. Okay. <clears throat> this was this was because it was such a technical subject. Mm -hmm. We approached it technically. Okay. Okay. And and I think that was absolutely the right thing to do. Uh, Don't crush that dwarf. Hand me the pliers, as you know from past shows, was uh, evolved from a stage show. Yeah. A life in the day. <clears throat> And, and using the technique of channel surfing, channel switching. But this this was much more in our heads, mm -hmm. and uh, and therefore we did it 
exclusively in studio. Was there one of you who was more obsessed with technology than the other, or were there a few of you who were really into it? Um, it's hard to say. I think Phil Austin was the most producerish of us. He mm -hmm. kept very careful track records. Okay, you know, uh, and he. Uh, well, we all we were all involved in the mixing process. Sure. It wasn't so much that we were techno nerds ourselves as we were uh, uh, able to utilize the technology available mm -hmm. from an artistic perspective. Sure. Which was so much fun. Yeah. You know. Do you know us. how many tracks you recorded this? Because I know you've talked in the past about like we had to double up, quadruple up tracks just to yeah. get ourselves 16 tracks. Do you know how you, do you recall what the, how many tracks you were working with or any of that kind of stuff with this album? Well, all I can say is, <laughs> and I, it's in the book, is that when we started, we were working with, I don't know, 10 track tapes, something mm -hmm. like that. And so, at, and, we, and we'd fill them rapidly. Right. Uh, and so what we'd have to do is, they call it ping-ponging. Mm -hmm. They'd have to take one, one, a bunch of tracks and put it all on one yes, track. Yeah. Okay? Uh -huh. And then we could add other tracks to it. As we continued to work, I remember this was so freaky. The tapes got bigger and bigger until the tapes were like this big. They were like big cakes, mm -hmm. okay, yeah. of tape. And and they had a hundred tracks on it. See? So we could use as many as we needed mm -hmm. to, to create a, a given, any given effect. Yeah. But but it wasn't as though like, well, we really have to make multi-tracks here. Uh, there are a few albums, some of the Rhino albums, I have I find fault with mm -hmm. uh, because we sometimes overloaded the the tracks okay. and lost the the narrative thread, mm -hmm. you know, in, in, in a clamor. I, I I think our effect was uh, the effect we were going for was people are overloaded now. You know, with with media and it's, sure. it's driving them crazy, but I think we could have done it a little more subtly yeah. than we did in some of those albums. Right. You know, so there's an upside to multi-tracking and there's a downside. Yeah. So. This Phil, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Uh, I was going to get in a little into the weeds on Bozos because the, sure. one of the first uh, inside uh, things I've um, I was on uh, Usenet in the '90s, and what people were talking about then was how they figured out some, someone could, would come forward and say, "Oh my God, I found the book that they are riffing on when they're talking about animals without backbones Backbone, so, hid yeah. from each other and fell down." Fell so down, what right. they what they determined was that you were reading, you were basically copy changing an existing children's science book really <laughs> oh damn you have no memories of that no, so anyway I, the, the, the what, what we found was there was you you had found I a specific forget any plagiarism <laughs> plagiar yes but those, it was it was plagiarism a book, you huh? forget. Yeah. maybe david had it mm-hmm David, but David when you're was... when you're reading when you and Peter are reading um, the you know tra trailer bikes sugar bikes, bikes and mosquitoes, mosquitoes that's yeah. all from that's all from <laughs> a book but with just a few words changed really? okay. yeah but on that scene when you're like I I want to I want to find out yeah in, in Wall of Science I want to figure out what you have what what you're picturing that scene is because what i'm seeing is that obviously you're on a ride you're in an environment where it's a very disney imagineering produced thing where mm -hmm. voices are going to be speaking at you from uh from a speaker yeah, and then suddenly around. there's you and bergman but you're you sound like you're in a classroom in We're front in of people yes. hall. Yeah, you're yeah. in a lecture hall so what i imagine in that mm -hmm. scene is that there's this part of the ride where People, kids, kids, kids at the school or teachers at a school can send in a recording, and if your recording is picked, it will be on the ride. 
But what are what are? I'm probably completely wrong. Well, about that. no, what is... I envisioned it as as being in some kind of a mobile situation, uh, the moving yellow line, and 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 having the story being illustrated to you as you go along. The lights would come up, and there'd be you know uh, uh, mosquitoes colliding in the air, whatever, and then you enter into a great lecture hall. Mm-hmm. See, um, and, mm-hmm. okay, mm-hmm. and and you get you know, a slideshow or something, a holographic slideshow, okay. mm-hmm. you know. But again, the the wonderful the wonder of what Firesign was able to do is that you you can make your own movie. What it was uh, there's a wonderful quote that Harry Anderson, God rest his soul, who left us so abruptly and surprisingly, said about radio, uh, and I'll be damned if I can remember it now. But let's see, uh, it had to do with the fact that the the magic. Of radio is not is not seeing it not seeing you know I'm gonna I'm gonna have to uh, find it yeah that's something I believe deeply about radio which is that it's not just a thing it's a motor function motor Mm -hmm. it's a thing that will whether you like it or not engage your imagination because there was a stimulates your brain it's good for your brain there was a whole thread uh, several years ago on boing boing about a guy who shot a video in his car driving across indiana and there was a stuttering on the radio just and final redemption 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 and there was a whole week of cross post people trying to figure out what the station was and what had happened you know it was part of the calvary radio network and they didn't care about the network it was being fed into a strip mall somewhere and then straight to the and they lost the connection so the last one second in the buffer was repeating forever and ever and blah 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 here's what happened oh we have some interesting stories about so it really was, was a technical it really glitch. was a technical glitch but what was amazing was the fact that anybody cared about this at all mm-hmm. it's you cannot help but care and be intrigued by things that you're you're seeing on the radio because that somebody is there somewhere and they are saying this thing who could they be and you, uh, when you hear uh, something on radio, that is automatically engaged. You mm-hmm. are creating a visual. Yeah, I always, I always felt uh, that what the Firestone Theater was basically doing was uh, stimulating the mind to make associations. Mm-hmm. You see, the the brain, by my way of thinking, is is a holographic thing that basically uh, stores images and and uh, emotions and memories and everything all over the place mm-hmm. not in like one you don't open sure. a door and there's all your um, your childhood right it's because uh, what what freud understood was that the unconscious works in symbolic ways mm-hmm. and if you analyze your dreams you'll see that you'll see that basically you'll be replaying things that happened to you during the day because the brain is kind of making connections i'll put that over here mm-hmm. with you know that image of of my mother's legs mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know and and uh so we created records that, that were very associative. One idea or image or word would lead surprisingly to some entirely different place. Yeah. But there was a lot. There's a logical connection, a synapse, mm-hmm. and I felt that that kind of would stimulate the brain to 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 work better. 
Were you making conscious choices to keep it on track, or did you have something there? Was the script enough to be like, we can keep it on track here, but we can fuck with it as we go? I'm just curious. Yeah, that's something I've wondered too. That's the, a writing at, skill. Yeah, if it was at the beginning of the writing, say, uh, at the beginning writing. of the album, did you know that Clem was going to be a hacker, that he was going to blow yeah. up the place? Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. Because yeah. no, that's we, another. We, that, we would we, we would come to cognitive decisions in writing sessions as to the over the arc of a story. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> not on not uncommon uh, in in uh, a room full of writers you know whether you're doing a television show or whether you're doing a movie mm-hmm. uh, and and the difference being the restrictions of the phonographic record we had you know so many minutes that we could fill and of course at the time you could also turn the record over mm-hmm. and we could play with that uh, and you know we had two two sides we could tell two different stories um, but but basically we would think of it as being an arc a, a, a dramatic arc mm-hmm. and that would give us footing so that we could be in agreement as to what elements we could then add to the story. And it also gave us gave the listener something to hold on to. Because some of our albums, some of the earlier albums, were uh, very psychedelic in that regard, that mm-hmm. they would kind of uh, go all over the place. And it wasn't until we did Nick Danger as a record that everybody could say like, oh yeah, this is a parody of yeah. uh, detective movies sure. or, or radio shows. <clears throat> and so, yeah, we're, we can get on board. We can understand this. And that opened our audience because then they were curious, what else did these guys do? Yeah. But they also got the idea because it was not that far removed from the associative writing that we were doing before. Mm-hmm. They, they could be, uh, they could catch on to what it was we were doing. Sure. And if they were hungry for more, we gave it to them. You know? It's weird how that evolved because you would think that most groups at the time, everybody of your generation was, had had grown up on radio first and then yes. immediately got to transition into TV very quickly. Yes. So you all had the same reference points. So one would think that the way a group would get together would be like, yeah, let's do this thing that's making fun of old radio and then eventually everybody gets high and you make this. Like it just feels like that would be the progression. But the the fact that you were like, no, let's let's do it. Let's do a detective thing now and that that worked in this way that switched everybody to but go. See, that was also stuff. because we were evolving all of our stuff we were still doing radio Mm -hmm. and and we could try out ideas on the radio Mm -hmm. Uh, on our radio shows one of the things that was unique about it was that we would operate independently and bring in material Mm -hmm. uh, in order to make the other guys break up you know or or to surprise them with some idea or Mm -hmm. to spring a character on them and and because we were so interactive that would stimulate other kinds of directions for you know that happen. Dave Osman would bring in a script with parts for us, and we wouldn't rehearse it. We just do it live. Mm-hmm. And Earl Jive would wouldn't rehearse it. He'd drop in sound effects, you know. And <laughs> and it it created this wonderful, uh, not only an experience, but it it tuned us in a certain way so that yeah. so that our writing was informed by okay. it. You that know, makes sense, yeah. again, it's always kind of like always hearing. It in our heads mm-hmm. together, and uh, and 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 writing from from that perspective, because we knew what medium we were writing for, see, yeah. and uh, and that was very helpful to us. Nick Danger ended up on the record; mm-hmm. it was going to be the pilot for a, a detective surrealist detective series on one of our radio okay. shows. Okay, <clears throat> but we lost the radio show. Yeah, we went to 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 with the script to do it and the doors the locks had been changed and it changed overnight from you know a rock and roll station to Hasidic country western you know? <laughs> so so we said what are we going to do with this he said well, well let's put it on the other side 
Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. And and so we evolved it again then as a record from that radio idea. Yeah. You know, but there's a line in there we've got lots of places to put them in this land has lots of something and trousers mountains yeah, and mountains, mountains and, and, mud and, 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 and something something to put them in when the sun goes down mm-hmm. we had a lot of places to put things in mm-hmm. we always mm-hmm. had some place to put it put it in the radio show put it on stage sure. put it in the record uh, and 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 we could trans- transmogrify and transform uh, the things that we were working on if we felt that they would be ultimately a commercial property, mm-hmm. which is where we were making our bread and butter. Of course. Uh, <laughs> I want to ask you a little bit about your favorite segment of the album, but I want to very quickly point out that I have this DJ copy of it, um, y- intended for DJs, of course, and then they would have these stickers on them. Big that old would say, yes, stickers, Suggested right? cuts. <laughs> they have not indicated any suggested cuts, no, because no. what the fuck are you going to do? Where, where do you drop yeah, the needle on one of, that. of these? That's, that's, that's right. That, well, again, now, see, that was, that was one of the things that... Uh, uh, one of the reasons why Peter and I basically uh, started Procter and Bergman, yeah, because we we felt that a fire sign should get more airplay mm-hmm. than than uh, was was possible because of the nature of our album, sure. See? And so we uh, set out to create short form comic bits that could be played on the radio, sure. And it's proved to be long; it's had a great uh, shelf life. Because I get checks from uh, uh, a tracking company, mm-hmm. uh, and primarily the, the the majority of the monies are from Procter and Bergman cuts, mm-hmm. hmm. which is still pertinent. Yeah, yeah, you know, and uh, uh, and that also we wanted to tour, whereas the other boys wanted to stay in Hollywood make records. Sure, and we wanted to go out and tour and meet the audience and evolve material on the road, which we did. And I think it really helped in general to keep the Firesign Theater in the public eye. Yeah. Because it's a lot harder to, to, to take four guys on the road, especially if one of them doesn't fly, because mm-hmm. Phil didn't mm-hmm. fly. Okay. He's flying now, God bless him. <laughs> but he, there he goes now. He didn't fly. And so uh, we had to time all of our uh, bookings, mm-hmm. our concert bookings and performance bookings, to coincide with his arrival oh, wow. in a van with his wife and his dogs. <laughs> oh my God! So what would happen is that we would fly in early and do promotion, mm-hmm. and then Phil would arrive. We'd rehearse the show and do the show. Wow! Wow! Yeah. Off of this album, is there a particular thing either you re- you remember fondly l- listening back to, or something you remember recording that really stands out to you as something that was re- really enjoyable to record? I mean, you're in the whole thing, of course, but well, I think the breaking of uh, not the break, the the destruction of the mainframe computer of mm-hmm. directory dot memory mm-hmm. was the thing I remember is most fun. Yeah, the most fun. Although uh, the breaking of the president is fun too. Yes, it is. But th- you know those those particular pieces involved all of us mm-hmm. you know yeah <laughs> and and so that that made it more fun when i was listening to it last night that when when you go in there and try and break the president the first time that's when the inter- the album suddenly takes a really interesting turn uh-huh. and becomes yeah. something completely <laughs> that's that you, right. that you couldn't predict <laughs> the, when you start now i asked you this question back when we did a uh interview with doug harvey on k chung back in the day and i liked your answer but i want to get your answer in yeah. here too which is that when i've listened back to dwarf one thing that strikes me as an interesting character note is that Clem 
is there to break the president. But when he's on his way in, he's just as susceptible to all the illusions as no, everybody else No, are you talking about does. Dwarf or are you talking about uh, Bozos? Bozos. Yes. When, Cle when Clem's on his way in, even though he's on his way in and he knows exactly what he's doing at the end to ask yeah. the questions, when he gets, when the, when the holograms get in front of him, mm. he's distracted by the holograms. Yeah, great illusion. He, he, and I, I was wondering... All, all, all these years, whether that was whether his character was changing or whether he was the same person all the way through. No, it's like if you work for Disney, for instance, and uh, well, you work for Disney, but, you know, you might be in You're, accounting, right? Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. uh, uh, or or editing tapes or something like that. Mm -hmm. But when you go to the visit the the actual uh, theme park, mm -hmm. you're just as amazed. You just uh, amazes anybody else. You become a kid, yeah. Because you may you may have played a tiny part in the creation of a ride or something. Sure, sure. But to actually get in the ride, if it works, it's going to distract you. It's going to amaze you. Mm -hmm. It's going to be entertaining, you know. Uh, and and so he he's in the thrall of the government's vision. Mm -hmm. That they're selling to everybody as much as everybody else is, yeah. And yet he is on a mission, yeah. He's on a mission to, uh, because uh, to to bring bring everything down. Yeah, you know he's gonna he's gonna shut it down. That's a good question, though. That's interesting. I well, that's really what I figured out over the years is that that what Phil's talking about really is true in the world of Imagineering. Yeah, is yeah. that you can you can program the uh, the machine and you can program the tubes to be to go down the water slide ride. Yeah, it's a very different thing from actually being on the that's ride right. and being being manipulated like it now, like everybody you, else. You know is. the pun that's that's in the title. Mm -hmm. I think Robozo's on this bus. Mm -hmm. Do you know what the pun is? I don't. All right. Well, a bus mm -hmm. in a computer. Is a point that leads to other. Points. Oh sure, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. All right. Yep. <laughs> there we go. Jesus it's been delivered. Christ. Holy shit! <laughs> That's the whole answer. Never occurred to me. That's a delight. Do you? Okay. I don't know. Have you had a and chance? And by the way, how, yes. Howdy Doody. You see, my Howdy Doody ventriloquist uh -huh, doll uh -huh. also features in the album, and Mickey Mouse. You see? Uh huh. I don't know what David's. Oh, yin David's and yang. got like a yeah. Yin yin and yang. yang symbol. That's the way computers work. Sure. Uh, and what is, what's Peter holding? I can't tell. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe you can tell on the photos on the back of the album. Mm, can't remember. No. no. There's a few photos that survive from this photo session, and it's all just them hanging out in front of the, the cameras. Yeah. I love that the cameras on the back of the album are showing different images than oh, what is in front of the I think this. I know what it is. I think it's that, 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 that the figure, uh, the, the clay figure, claymation the figure. Sheena? Where are we? Gumby no, no. or well, something? Gumby. I think really? It's a, I think ah, it's really? A Gumby. That's amazing. I think it's Gumby. Uh, but in, in any event, again, it's like pop culture, the effects of pop culture. And, sure. And, you know, on everybody. And, and uh, Disney's thing. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, Phil, this was the first album that you guys did in quad. What do you remember, oh, from, yeah. what do you remember from mixing oh, that? That was really thrilling. Uh, we were at the Columbia Studios and four speakers mm -hmm. in a fairly small room and the, the control panel. And we all, each one of us, handled a different mm. character. You know, we we would listen to it and we'd say, okay, well, let's walk him from here to there, and let's bring him in behind us here. Okay. Right. And let's and let's make that sound go around. Yeah. We, you know, we we're playing. We could play. Of we course. Could play. Yeah. And and uh, uh, I haven't heard the quadraphonic thing for years, but I remember what a thrill it was to actually be surrounded mm -hmm. by. Our, our vision 
Yeah. You know. There's also something fun about it, the fact that it's comedy. And, you know, the idea that you spent that much time on comedy is also, is very dear to me, but it's also funny. You know what I mean? I, yeah. To me, it's always because I know that comedy is kind of frivolous, but it's also my favorite thing in the world. Yeah, it's it's a weird combination of things. Taylor, have you heard them? Because I know we've talked about it briefly. Have you heard the quadraphonic like in the actual? No, I've got them, and I have got them, heard but them. you haven't oh, heard you them. Should, yeah, it's right, quite easy in effort. this world to imagine that there being an audience for it, because anybody sure. who has got a, anybody who has a home theater set who, who does five point one can mm-hmm. could could listen to this quite easily. I've been thinking recently that if. Uh, not to give too much away, but there is a. We would love if we could like own the all the all the masters again. Sure, that would course. be a, a wonderful thing. But if we yeah, can't, we're, right? we're kind of working on it. We're uh, okay. we're talking to the powers to be. If the answer comes back that that's not going to work out, what would be absolutely lovely is a big uh, Columbia era box set with all those masters. Mm. But what besides the quad version of there's a quad version of Bozos and there is a quad version of Everything You Know Is Wrong. Mm-hmm. If there are still masters for those um, albums, what would be wonderful is if we could make 5.1 versions of mm. giant rats mm-hmm. or next world sure or some of the other stuff that was that was originated in like a eight track masters mm-hmm. to get surround masters of that stuff from from that era yeah made would be fantastic because giant rat when we get to giant rat man mm. are we going to have stuff to talk about yeah the immense amount of of atmospherics that that was uh that had to be worked out to get that to be on a on a two to reduce to a two track LP. Yeah, yeah, are just amazing. Yeah, and that was a show that we did at the Ashgrove with a set that Austin built. Really, which is like a little puppet theater set. Amazing. Now, just the other day, yesterday, uh, my friend Oscar Arslanian, Arslanian, who used to do publicity for public relations for Fireside Theater, sent me this picture. From my year at Yale, 1960 at Yale. Amazing. Uh, at the end of a show, Henry VI, Part Three, mm. we did a parody, a song. Oh, pardon me, thou bleeding piece, ah, 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 thou bleeding piece of earth. earth. Ooh. And it was a, a monologue. Mm-hmm. And in this picture, I don't know, can you see we it? We got Sam next. If you send Sam it to me, Waterston, I can put it in here for sure. Yes. Holy shit. <laughs> Sam Waterston, Tom Ligon. John Badham, the director of mm. uh, Saturday Night Fever, okay, and John Jenkins. I don't know what what became of him, but but we were, <laughs> we were the the doo-wop group. Oh my and, god! And there we are. That's that phenomenal. I'll send this to you. Yeah, you please can, do. Yeah, you can play with it. But the reason why I I brought it up mm-hmm. was some stuff at Yale actually influenced me in the the work I was to do later, and I didn't think about it until I saw this picture again. Mm-hmm. During the time that I was at Yale from 1958 to 1962, uh, there was a guy named Eisenhower, an inventor, who was working on early computerized lighting design. Okay. And he basically invented the computer presets hmm. oh, uh, wow. lighting board. Wow. And we used it in a production that the Dramat did of Camino Real by uh, Tennessee Williams, mm-hmm. where Tom Ligon, who is in the, the, the front of this song thing, played the, the Kilroy part, mm-hmm. and uh, which was witnessed 
by none other than Tennessee Williams, who was in town trying mm -hmm. out one of his new plays. Mm -hmm. And he came and saw the show mm -hmm. and then met us all backwards with his, his posse, everybody drinking, you know, liquor out of little Dixie cups. Of and course, things. of course. Fantastic. <laughs> but but in that play, we used the Eisenhower board for presets for the first time. Mm -hmm. And what we did was we put speakers all the way along the side of the theater and mm -hmm. the back of the theater we had a lighting uh, design that when the el bandito plane which plays plays a major part everybody's trying to get out of this terrible town and there's a plane that lands that is their only way out mm -hmm. and and of course none of them get on it and it flies off without them but the way that the, our director bill francisco or Leland Starnes, I can't remember, I'd have to look at the program, designed it. The plane flew over the audience's head, mm -hmm. and the lights of the wow. plane moved over the audience's head, so and good. confetti <laughs> came down, <laughs> sparkly confetti oh. came down on them, and the roar of the plane went from the stage uh -huh. through the speakers on either side, so and good. out the back! That's out so the, good. Whoop, out, Hey, just That's like that. Out, out the front of the, uh, into the, the lobby. The audiences were pounded by mandolins, right. and the effect was <laughs> so, amazing. Yeah, and, and actually in Summer Stock, I, I designed sound for another Tennessee Williams play mm -hmm. uh, suddenly last summer. Uh-huh. And and all this came out of the fact that, as as I say in the book, I was inspired by Bob and Ray on the radio, mm -hmm. and Ernie Kovacs on television. Sure. And my dad, who was a... Uh, a, a who raised money he was an entrepreneur who raised money for inventions and things like we saw the first polaroid camera you know he he, he would he would try to bring investors into these things uh he brought uh, tape recorders back the first tape recorder i had was a wire recorder yeah the barbed wire mm. recorder. and then no first it was a, a record that's right a little okay. vinyl record uh -huh. then it was a wire recorder mm -hmm. then it was a tape recorder then it was a tape recorder with a radio built in mm -hmm. so that i could record the bob and ray shows mm. and i started editing crudely on my own mm -hmm. you know with scissors and scotch tape yeah uh, uh and and so i was always involved and fascinated by the audio format mm -hmm. okay and uh and i didn't and, and my job at yale was an i was in the audio visual system i i edited a radio show called yale reports mm -hmm. and i saved all of the outtakes <laughs> all, all these famous people you know, fluffing things and saying things wrong and, and coughing and burping. Would and you like to comment on? Yes, I would like to yeah. comment on it. Yeah. Okay. Well, there was. I'm sorry, I interrupted he's, he's you. Right. Well, it was a very polite interruption. Yeah, of right. My statement, as I now recall, it seems rather pompous. Yeah, I cut them all together into Yale distorts. Yes. Okay. Yes. You've uh -huh. heard it. I've heard parts of it. Yes. So, so good. again, you know, I, I would it, it meeting Peter Bergman mm -hmm. uh, at at uh, Yale. And then catching up with him on the radio mm -hmm. was the the magic culmination of this path that I was on that mm -hmm. I didn't even realize I was on a moving yellow line. You right. Know? <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and everything came together and <clears throat> meeting the other guys that same night, all these like-minded people, all of us coming from <clears throat> a funny combination of writing and art, <clears throat> performance, mm -hmm. acting, drama music comedy mm -hmm. and technical uh interest yeah. you know editing and and making sound collages and stuff and using sound effects 
It just couldn't have been better. It's a through line for all of Firesign's work over 30 years that whatever toys you gave them, they'd make the most of. I mean, these guys were making interactive video games in a time when they were still developing the technology to make it a, a right. make it right. possible for, right. for Firesign to do what they were already doing. Yeah, yeah. We, were, we were hired uh, by, and I can't remember his name right now. Uh, Stan Cornyn? Stan Cornyn. Mm -hmm. We were hired by him to write a... a <coughs> interactive CD. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. To write an interactive CD so that Sony mm -hmm. could continue to could actually develop develop such a thing mm -hmm. on a visual. Oh yeah, it was the CDI, right? Which we haven't talked much about on here, but Taylor. Yeah, that's the Eden yeah, yeah. Eden album. Yeah. Yes. And and it and it had embedded in it pictures. So great. Okay. So good. <laughs> we had those wonderful these wonderful uh, 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 shooting sessions. Photo sessions, <laughs> and there we are these the crazy Polaroids. pictures embedded in the uh, in the CD. And the premise of the CD was that you had to solve a clue mm -hmm. and go to a certain number, mm -hmm. so the cuts were all you know random otherwise. And it would take you through the story. So and at the beginning, there was going to be like a payoff uh, if you could if you could find such and such, figure out such and such a riddle, you could get a, a prize or something. We know the riddle now, so if we have to re we have to reverse engineer the game from the riddle, god damn it, we can do it. <laughs> I found the riddle yeah, in we, Austin's notes. <laughs> oh, good. So we, we you know, we were uh, always in the avant-garde. We were yeah. always pioneers of, uh, of the, the audio medium. I think the reason this album, to me, works the best is that and I don't mean this in a cynical way, but all the technology in the story is taken for granted. It's it's not, there's no moment, and it's like your comedy, though. There's no moment where you step aside and, and give the audience a minute to catch up. It's taken that, yeah. no, this is how things are. Let's keep going. It really is yeah. of, uh, it's it's sweet generie, but it is completely understandable the first time you hear it. I mean, mm -hmm. I, yeah. I, I, I grew up with an Apple II Plus, and what you figure out when you're listening to Bozos for the first time, assuming you were of my age and, and knew about, you know, basic programming when you get to the part where uh the arty choke robot has cornered a clem and is trying to trick him into going with <laughs> yeah, them right, right, you can right. hear the moments your where they're the po you. your mommy's waiting for you you can hear <laughs> the where there are just a few seconds pause between the first query the second query which is the 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 the, the the uh, the query you go to when you don't get a response from the first yes, query, yes, right, you move right. to the second one, yes, and then the robot moves to the third query. Ah, I see. You're too tired or scared, scared to, move. to move. You can hear it waiting, <laughs> mm -hmm. and there there must be these little edit points in the in the hologram. <laughs> you can just picture it mm -hmm. where the, where there's like a, the, a static edit point, and then it moves on to the next thing, and then it yeah. moves on to the next thing. Yeah. And it's not it's not um, it's it's not obvious in the in the record at all, but it's very intuitive. Yeah, and of course it. it in the course of my long and strange career, I've done voices for lots of interactive games mm -hmm. over the years, and I played an evil ro an evil computer in one of them. <clears throat> and of course, when you record these things, you're recording all of these things that are in response to the player's choices. Yeah, just like that. Yeah, you yeah. Know? <laughs> so, so great. So that which we predicted, you know, I was able to make a living out of later on in my own career. So strange. I love that so much. Um, all right, Phil. I don't know when this is going to come out, but let us... First of all, thank you for this album. I love this album. Uh, Good. It's a I delight. I only heard it for the first time last night. Is that right? Yeah, because I wanted it to be fresh, fresh. Oh, good. Because the oh, thing good. is, these I've I've heard some of them, you know, several times over for other podcasts. Yeah, but yeah. It hasn't been brought up on comedy on vinyl before, so I'm like, I want it to be fresh, fresh. Good. And um, 
thank you for this, but also tell people about the book again because I don't think we've all talked right. about it yet. Um, <laughs> all right, well that we can do a, we, we can do an interview. A um, book when, now that the uh, podcast is going to be yeah out, yeah. <clears throat> I'm going to be hiring on Jeff Abraham again, uh-huh. who uh, uh, for all vi- practically the entire Fireside Theater career was our publicist. Yeah, and he's a very inventive and wonderful, wonderful man to work with. So. Uh, uh, I will be doing a new push to promote the book. All right, which good. has been selling well, mm-hmm. but you know it can always always sell better. Of course. And uh, as I say, it's available at Amazon.com, mm-hmm. and it will be the podcast will be kicked off when uh, I and my wife Melinda Peterson appear at the Here Now Festival mm-hmm. in Kansas City, Missouri, awesome. from the sixth of June to the 9th of June. Okay. And uh, they're honoring me one evening. Uh, there'll be a you know. A, uh, an opportunity for me to talk to the the uh, uh, conventioneers about my career mm-hmm. <clears throat> and answer questions and things like that. Dave Osman and I are going to be performing mm-hmm. on the performance night. We're going to be doing the the very same piece, well, an updated version of the piece that we performed in Washington D.C. Yeah, right for the Library of Congress mm-hmm. when they announced that they were acquiring our archives. So great. And David will be presenting once again the Mark Time Awards. Great. Which have been on a, a kind of a hiatus mm-hmm. for a couple of years. So that's all going to be in Kansas City, Missouri. You can go online here now, dot com. Perfect. Thank you for coming on. Taylor, do you have anything you want to promote? It's going to be the same stuff. Wait, wait, wait. I'm well, not coming no. on, am I? Because I got broke on trouble. Okay? Let's be careful what words we use. All right? Sorry. Thank you for Oh, my God, I'm exposed. Wait a minute. I'm going to pull the zipper up there. Jesus, thank oh, God this isn't... Boy, I'm like, the whole time. Waste this shot, whole time. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. Good. Oh, my God. Taylor, what well, do you got? What do you want to promote? Whenever you listen to this podcast, at that time, I will be in my apartment at home working on a fire sign reissue project. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this the the one that I'm doing right now is on is for uh, David's um, uh, Fighting Clowns Hollywood book, and it's kind of astounding because, mm-hmm. like I said, this is a whole period that we don't know anything about, and we've got a lot of really great recordings of their stage shows. I got to get in there, get in there and clean them up, and get like two hundred uh-huh. images and put them into. I don't know quite what it's what it wants to be. It depends on whether it's how much materials in there. It could sure. be like a box set, or it could be just a big download thing with a huge PDF at the end. Uh-huh. But there's gonna there's news clippings, there's photos, there's. Um, and and it's 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 really going to be the companion piece to to David's book, and you must get David's book because there's stuff that we don't have recordings of that is in the book that is. Hilarious. I learned a lot of stuff from it too because mm-hmm. a lot of it came from his diaries. Yeah, you know, and how was he looking at things? Sure, you know, and and, and how was I behaving in his eyes and <laughs> right. you know, all that kind of thing? Because we all have different perspectives. What yeah. I tried to do in my book was in writing about Fireside Theater was to keep it as positive as possible. Of course. I talk about the rifts and the, 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 the distances that happen between us and the years, the lost years and all that. Sure. But, uh, but the fact of the matter is love kept us together. Yeah. And love is what bonded us in all of our work. And, you know, just like it was a, a family of brothers. Mm-hmm. And uh, I miss Dave and uh, I miss uh, Peter and Phil very much, you know. But that's the way it is. 
Well, I'm I'm glad that uh, you've been kind enough to tell me the story of each of these albums and Taylor. It's I mean I, we're not done. I don't mean that to sound <laughs> yeah, like yeah, yeah, this yeah. is the last one we're going to talk <laughs> this about. Is the, the the Columbia years. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. We're going to be exhaustive, and I, at some point, uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be responsible for Phil having a heart attack or something because I'm just going to keep no, asking him to come on the no, show. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 no. Pub- Publicity wise, the best way to go. <laughs> Killed by his own podcast. <laughs> That's horrible. I, I'm the worst person in the world. Uh, I want everybody also to, well, first of all, buy this album. You can get it everywhere, right? You can, you, we can get it on the Firesign Theater website, yeah, correct? it should be, no. No? We don't own it. You don't it own it. It should be an iTunes thing. It's, um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, uh, com. do they distribute it? Yeah, although that's another story. Yeah, that's another story. <laughs> but you can, if you, you can, if you, if you Google it, I'm sure you'll be Googled back. Yeah, yeah. No. Okay. For fun, you yeah. should go uh, track down a, a copy of the Mobile Fidelity Soundblast CD Oh, the CD Mobile version, Fidelity which has, which has, Yeah, from like way back. Okay. It, it, it sounds the best, it's and it's got okay. liner notes, which were never included in any other yeah. copy. Okay. That's right. All right. Then mobile check Fidelity. Out. But buy it from iTunes after you buy that, because then at least some sort of royalty will be going to the Firesign Theater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah, if, you want, if you're interested in what we're up to, you can go to firesigntheater.com. Mm-hmm. And if you're interested in what I'm up to, you go to planetproctor.com. Perfect. Uh, I don't. I rarely promote anything, but just go to bit.ly forward slash comedy albums. Uh, that's where you can find my mini sketch comedy record label. I say sketch comedy, but our first release this year is going to be a stand-up record. It's a re-release uh-huh. of a 1961 album I can't mention yet, but Taylor is doing most of the work on it. Indeed. Hi, Taylor. Taylor has done a ton of work on it. Wink. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you guys for listening and watching. I'm Aklam. This is Taylor Jessen. This is Phil Proctor. <laughs> As always, have a good thing. Till the next time, stay tuned. Comedy on Vinyl is a production of Stolen Dress Entertainment. It is produced by Mike Warden and is hosted and edited by Jason Klom. Our theme song was composed and performed by Richard Levinson. You can email us at podcast at comedyonvinyl.com. You can also send snail mail to Stolen Dress Entertainment, P.O. Box 805, Burbank, California, 91503. Subscribe to Comedy on Vinyl on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you can find podcasts. Give us a five-star rating and write us a review. It helps. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Comedy on Vinyl, or find everything in one place at ComedyOnVinyl.com. A major portion of Comedy on Vinyl has been underwritten by Stand Up Records. Please visit StandUpRecords.com for all your comedy needs and tune in to the new Stand Up Records channel available on the Roku, where you can also find select episodes of this podcast. Visit StolenDress.com to listen to our other podcasts, watch videos, and imbibe freely of our multimedia content going back 15-plus years. 